Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says, promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, Dynasty Command Center Nation? It's Curtis Patrick. We're going to talk about the most volatile investments in the early rounds of Superflex Dynasty startups today. Got to make sure that we avoid some of those landmines, the guys that will tank the early parts of your draft. I wrote an article, I wrote a pair of articles uh, probably about two months ago now on how to build a core that can win now and win for the next couple years. And there's a super flex version of that. You can find the article on the site. Um, you know, we talk about trying to identify players who aren't on the wrong side of the age apex, uh, players who the Rotoviz rankings team is high on versus their ADP, relatively speaking. And so, you know, this podcast is kind of a nice partner to those articles. Travis May can't join me today. We're having some internet connectivity issues due to some storms in the Midwest. It is what it is. Uh, he helped me build the show sheet. I have some of his thoughts here. Make sure that we will share those. Before we get into some of these players, though, I, I got to talk about why we're using Superflex as the basis for this discussion today. And this is actually today's FFPC stat attack. Okay, so 2018, let's rewind the clock. Two years on the FFPC, just 15 Dynasty Superflex startup leagues were completed. In 2019, 43 Superflex Dynasty startup leagues were completed. Now, let's fast forward to 2020 on the FFPC. It's only early June, and we've already completed 67 Superflex Dynasty startups. Superflex is taking over, wholly taking over as the preferred Dynasty format. And, you know, you can see this by almost, what, quintuple growth uh, and just in less than 24 months on the FFPC. So, you know, obviously these guys do a great job setting up their leagues. It's a, a fantastic platform. Uh, their app is slick. It's very easy to draft, do in-draft trading, track your team, set your lineups. Uh, it's, it's a very slick app. Not, a, not every dynasty platform out there has something easy like this to manage your teams and manage a draft. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's a browser-based platform with the primary competition. That's not the case at the FFPC. So, uh, growth 5x over the past few years. So that's why at Rotoviz, we have transitioned to really focusing on our Superflex Dynasty rankings. Uh, they, they have a more prominent placement on the website now. And on this podcast and our other podcasts and in our written content, we're going to be focusing more on Superflex strategy. I mean, it, it's taking over. And so we know that that's what you guys need. We're going to focus more heavily in that area. So um, you know, before we talk about these players, just kind of finish this plug for the FFPC as the premier place to play Superflex Dynasty. Um, you know, you got to go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. We've got 
a number of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. It's not just that our rankings are more heavily focused on these formats. We've got things that can help you from a redraft or best ball perspective with the main event or their excellent best ball leagues, the FFPC Command Center built by Mike Beers. Um, that that is completely designed around dominating the FFPC format. So check out all of those things. They work in concert to help you be a winning player over there at the FFPC. Probably the grossest player for me in the top three rounds of Superflex Dynasty startups right now is Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones smashed in 2019. Travis and I talked about him last summer. Travis had him, I think, as a top six or seven running back last season. He, he totally called it. I was skeptical even then. I didn't know that we would ever get a boom year from Aaron Jones. Uh, you know, it's a good thing that we've got, you know, two guys offering their opinions on this show. And that's one that Travis got right. Um, we've already seen Aaron Jones lose value, though. And now the team has gone out and invested, a, I mean, in an upset, in a total upset, invested a second round pick in A.J. Dillon. And Aaron Jones, he he is not he is not a Matt Lafleur guy. He predates him, and he's already twenty five. He's going to turn twenty six during the NFL calendar year. He's in the he's in a walk year. Now I think he said something to the effect of he'd like to be a lifelong Packer. Well, every running back would like to be a lifelong player on his team. Uh, I mean that's that's pretty much a universal truth, but mo- most teams view lifelong as one contract for all of these backs, except for the Uber elite. And I don't think Aaron Jones is Uber elite. I think Aaron Jones benefited from one of the most unlikely NFL seasons. Maybe that you will ever see the Packers winning 13 games last season. Um, they hit the 99th percentile in the range of outcomes for what could have happened last year. Then Aaron Jones was a clear beneficiary. Uh, he, he scored, um, a ton of touchdowns and it, and it propped him up. And I don't think Aaron Jones lacks talent per se, but if the Packers had any intention of re-signing him or of even having him reprise his role from 2019, they had way bigger team needs than AJ Dillon. They could have invested in a, you know, perimeter weapon for Aaron Rodgers, who's been very vocal about the fact that, you know, this is a win now team and you know, they need other players besides Devonte Adams that instill some, some fear in opposing secondaries. I don't know that they've done that. Uh, Jay Sternberger, you know, maybe he'll have a more prominent role this year, but adding Devin Funches in free agency is not exactly what Aaron Rodgers had in mind. Uh, but nonetheless, the Packers, I think are hell bent on building something in the vein of, the Tennessee Titans 2019 model. And does that mean Aaron Jones could potentially have another high volume season in 2020? Sure. But this is the last year. He is a declining dynasty asset for sure. So he's at 34.7 overall RB 16. I actually think running back 16 from a positional standpoint is pretty fair on him. But when you start looking at what you have to pass on, to take Aaron Jones in a super flex dynasty startup on FFPC with an ADP of 34.7. You you can't justify this investment. So 34.9, the player with the ADP most similar 
going just after Aaron Jones in a super flex startup is Carson Wentz. You can't take Aaron Jones over Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was highlighted in uh, the articles that I mentioned at the top of the show. Carson Wentz is a is a cornerstone player of a, a super flex roster. Aaron Jones is not. Um, you also have to pass on Mike Evans, A.J. Brown, and Juju Smith-Schuster. So, look, I get it. Especially in the FFPC, you only have to start two wide receivers. Typically, wide receivers are devalued. I get it. I've seen dynasty teams win wide receiver heavy on FFPC. And these guys are going to maintain their value for several years. And in particular, A.J. Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, being as young as they are, have a huge opportunity to accrue value. You can get a nice return on investment from those picks when you're taking these guys at the very end of the third round or very beginning of the fourth round. You know, 22, 23, 24-year-old wide receivers who are going to be the alpha target getters in their offenses, you can't pass on those guys for an age 25, soon to be 26 running back in a walk year on a team that invested day two draft capital in his direct backup. You just can't do it. So Aaron Jones, I mean, if you're gonna draft, if you're gonna draft him there, the rest of your startup draft better make sense. And when I say that, I mean you're gonna draft Aaron Jones in the third round of a super flex dynasty startup. Your team better look very much like you are all in to win in 2020. Because otherwise all you're doing is, you know, tossing important dynasty draft capital into a sinking ship. Let's let's move on. I, I don't want to talk too much more about Aaron Jones. I think the case is very clear. Um, Aaron Jones is like an 80% version of 2019 Todd Gurley from a dynasty perspective. It's like, you, you know, we see the writing on the wall. We know it's not going to work out long term. has nothing to do with injury, but I mean, everyone knew going into last year. It's like through gritted teeth, would you say anything? resembling praise for Todd Gurley as a dynasty investment last season. And and that's how you have to approach tiptoeing up to Aaron Jones in a startup. Let's let's talk about a much more interesting and more let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. Let's talk about the Cleveland Browns backfield. Nick Chubb is going running back 11, 18.6 overall. His complimentary back Cream Hunt running back 29, 82.1 overall. So you're talking about you're talking about nearly six rounds. Five and a half to six rounds different in startup value. And once Kareem Hunt entered the picture in 2019, these guys basically were production twins. Um, Hunt got the high value receiving work. Chubb continued to smash as a runner. But these guys were both 12 and a half to 13 PPR point per week backs. I recently named Kareem Hunt one of my must-draft backs for redraft leagues in 2020. And the premise of, of that piece is that you have a player who's flex-worthy, really borderline running back two at that type of production pace. He was, he was running back 24 over the eight games he played with 12.58 PPR in 2019. So you can, you can invest in him as a mid RB3 in Dynasty or Redraft. And he's going to give you something. But if Chubb misses any time, every single week that Chubb 
doesn't play, Hunt's a top six running back. And he's a league winner if Chubb misses any considerable amount of time. The difference between Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb is that Hunt is very cheap. Hunt's very affordable. Chubb, you're investing in him as a cornerstone player. And I think I think it's a little dangerous. I think it's a little dangerous. Kevin Stefanski was a run-heavy guy in Minnesota last year, and that offense was definitely designed around maximizing Dalvin Cook's effectiveness. The Browns invested heavily in the offensive line, added tight ends. You can see that they, you know, they may deploy a similar scheme to what Minnesota did in 2019. Uh, but you know, Stefanski was highly involved in the offensive design in 2018 and 2017 in Minnesota when it looked much different. Now, Dalvin Cook was injured in those seasons, but the team was was pass heavy in those years, and it was much more about it was much more about driving the offense through Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen in those years. And the Browns also have Odo Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, David Njoku. So I'm concerned. That if the Browns, once again, like they do every year, fail to live up to the hype, that if Chubb is truly going to be, you know, the ground and pound it guy, you know, there's there's a reasonable argument to make that his ceiling's pretty low if he's not getting the receiving work. Just two targets a game after Kareem Hunt entered the picture. It's not that's not the profile of a running back one that you want to have so much invested in. I mean, basically, and this could sound gross. You guys are going to like this. Basically, after Kareem Hunt returned, Nick Chubb's usage resembled year two, year three, Jordan Howard for the Chicago Bears. You know, 18 to 20 rushing attempts per game, pace for 30 to 40 targets on the season. You can't, you can't do it. Josh Jacobs' ADP has fallen because there's no confidence that his receiving game role will grow. And Nick Chubb's no different. Kareem Hunt is one of the most efficient fantasy running backs in the NFL over the past three seasons. And we know what he can do when he gets the lion's share of the work. So Nick Chubb at running back 11, 18.6 overall. Unfortunately, Nick Chubb is a fade for me there. Um, I think the degree to which his ADP could increase and dynasty trade value could increase is is pretty limited. Even if Stefanski deployed Chubb in a Dalvin Cook style role, we're always going to have the question of is it, you know which week is Kareem Hunt going to see more opportunity? Kareem Hunt, league winner as a rookie. Running back one, even though he missed games in his second season, we know what the ceiling is there. And these guys, I, I think, are going to have similar PPR production in 2020 using the Rotoviz projection machine and taking into account the relative skill sets of each of these players and taking it into account, you know, the past couple seasons of Cleveland Browns trends, but weighing more heavily Kevin Stefanski's play calling from 2019 into the picture. I pretty much got him neck and neck because of what Hunt can do in the receiving game. I'm projecting Nick Chubb for 1,200 rushing yards. I'm projecting him for seven rushing touchdowns. That's great until you realize that Kareem Hunt could catch 50 balls 
and score eight total touchdowns. I mean, those 50 receptions in PPR formats, they cover a 500-yard delta in, in rushing production, rushing yardage production. So, it, you know, once you start doing the math and you start projecting this out, there's as much of a downside case to be made for Nick Chubb as Kareem Hunt. And so at ADP, I prefer Kareem Hunt. And I think Nick Chubb is a potentially volatile dynasty startup investment. Again, like the player, worried that Kareem Hunt will be more involved than most people are anticipating. And if he is, all of a sudden, I mean, what happens to what happens to guys that don't have true alpha back backfield market share? Ask carry on Johnson owners. It, it it's a slippery slope when you don't know what the player is going to offer you. And again, just to draw the parallel to Jordan Howard, I mean, Nick Chubb has different, you know, college draft pedigree. Obviously, I'm not saying that they're similar players talent wise. But once you get typecast as an early down pounder, people are only willing to invest in you to a certain degree. And it's definitely range of possible outcomes that Nick Chubb loses dynasty value this year because Kareem Hunt is so involved. Let's hit another guy. My my road of his brethren are not going to like this one. I'm sorry, guys. This, this is probably against like company bylaws. But Stefan Diggs, Stefan Diggs going wide receiver 24 in Dynasty Startups is nuts to me. It's absolutely nuts when you look at the guys that you can get going after him and how much later you can get some of these guys. So Stefan Diggs moving over from Minnesota to Buffalo. I think it's a great for football move. It's great for the Buffalo Bills. It's great for Josh Allen. I mean, I don't know what you guys are really expecting from Stephon Diggs, especially in non-dynasty best ball. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people like to, well, in best, this is not a best ball conversation. The majority of dynasty leagues are not dynasty best ball. And when you have to make start-sit decisions and you start looking at Stephon Diggs, who was a wide receiver two or better in just 34% of games in 2019, you know, 15.2 air yards per target was ninth in the NFL. Who does that sound like a, basically a boom bust profile, you know, in two thirds of his games, he was, he was a wide receiver three or worse that has a very high ranking in the league air yards per target number. Oh, it's John Brown. It's the incumbent in Buffalo. John Brown was 13th in the NFL with 14.3 air yards per target. And he was a wide receiver two or better in just 27% of games. You know, if you look at year-end counting stats, John Brown was a wide receiver two last year. You certainly didn't feel that way when you were making out your lineup last year. And now on the left side and the right side of the formation, Josh Allen has players with similar skill sets. Stephon Diggs is certainly a more well-rounded version, probably a little bit more explosive version of John Brown as evidenced by 4.8 yards after catch uh, average versus 2.8 for John Brown. But all things considered, I mean, these are deep weapons who are going to get low completion percentage targets down the field. And it's not projectable week to week. 
I don't want to pick. If you owned both of these guys, it would be a nightmare. You'd basically feel like you had to start both of them just to just to get the production from whoever it was going to come from. Now factor in, you know, maybe you want to make an argument that well, Stephon Diggs will relegate John Brown to lesser usage, or John Brown's not the type of player that Stephon Diggs is. He just had those incredible you know rate stats because he was the only option in Buffalo, and there's a there's a huge gulf in talent. Well, Stephon Diggs, when he has it, if that's the argument you want to make, it's not going to hold too much water because Stephon Diggs was a worse fantasy player without Adam Thielen in the lineup. He scored, you know, it wasn't significant, but he caught about a reception less per game. Um, His touchdown rate per game was more than halved. One fewer target per game. And, uh, yeah, in a, in a five-game sample over the past two seasons with Adam Thielen in or out of the lineup, Stephon Diggs was the worst fantasy player. When you select Stephon Diggs, wide receiver 24 in a dynasty startup, you're passing on Keenan Allen, Robert Woods, Adam Thielen, who we just mentioned. These are going to be volume wide receivers who are projectable week to week and are going to make it much easier for your fantasy team to win than Stephon Diggs, who is going to be trading blows with John Brown. And there's another wide receiver situation. There's two more wide receivers that I'm going to talk about on the, on the back half of the show who are significantly cheaper, at least around, in some cases, two to three rounds cheaper than Tyler Lock. Or, uh, I, just, I just see what happened there. I'm looking at my show sheet. I almost said his full name. But I've got an example of a player who is a little bit more of a solid week-to-week asset who's available a round and a half after Diggs. And I got another example, too. So, you know, it's not that I don't like Stephon Diggs or think that he's talented. I don't like the situation in Buffalo at his investment, at the price of current investment. I just don't like it. Well, we've got a few more players to talk about today. But before we do that, we got to plug one of our one of our great partners here on the Dynasty Command Center podcast, Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on over there at BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back. Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer. Man, are you guys watching UFC? I've become a huge UFC fan over the past year. I. I was always a skeptic. I mean, I'm I'm all in. I, I watch most of I watch most of the big events now. And it is addicting. And it's even more addicting when you've got a little cache on the night. And betonline.h is a way for you to do that. If you need more than those four sports right now, they're simulating NFL, NBA, uh, and UFC every day. And we know that some of the other major sports are coming back. So, you know, the writing's on the wall that, you know, NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, some combination of these sports are going to be available for you to place your bets. Looking for something other than sports, BetOnline also has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets. Visit BetOnline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline. Your online wagering experts. Okay, one of my one of my smash articles last week 
was my must-draft running backs for 2020. We talked a little bit about Kareem Hunt being one of those guys. One of the other guys I mentioned was Chase Edmonds. And because Chase Edmonds is so cheap and popped when he got his chance with very minimal opportunity, high fantasy productivity per touch in 2019, two running back two weeks, and a 35-point 35 35-point 35 outburst as well, last year in a Sands David Johnson game where he got 27 carries, Chase Edmonds did. Because of this, I think Kenyon Drake, as attractive as he is and as much upside as he has, I think maybe Dynasty drafters are getting a little bit too comfortable with Kenyon Drake. And I like this offense better for fantasy than I like the Green Bay Packers offense. But Kenyon Drake's right in that range where Aaron Jones is. Running back 17, 35.4 overall in ADP. He's an end of the third round selection. And Kenyon Drake has been, you know, when will he break out player for basically his entire fantasy career? And actually even dating back to college. uh, When will he get the big workload back at Alabama? And it just never happened. He was nice last year. People are misremembering how dependable he was. Um, He looked great in his first game against San Francisco in week 10. Then we don't get a running back one week until five games later. 10.1 PPR, 14 PPR, bye week, 7.1 PPR, 9.7 PPR. By the way, all four of those games, those gross games, those low-end RB2 and RB3 outputs are with Chase Edmonds sidelined. He was out for the season at that point. So Drake, in a bell cow situation, failed to produce in four of eight contests as an Arizona Cardinal last year. Now, when he boomed, he boomed huge. 28.2, 39.6, 33.4. Top three running back weeks. Overall running back one weeks. So I get it. And I get that guys that had stashed him or traded for him love him because in week 15 and 16, he had his two best games of the fantasy season. So if you were Kenyon Drake owner that made it to your fantasy playoffs, you probably won the title. And if you didn't, you're probably a statistical outlier. So I get it. I get it that these guys endear themselves to you. But Kenyon Drake was not a lock for production last year. He just wasn't, even in high volume situations. And Chase Edmonds looked fantastic in the couple games that he even got modest workloads. And when you talk about a 146-pick difference in their startup value, it's crazy. It's crazy to me that Chase Edmonds is available at running back 57 with an ADP of 181.6 overall. Chase Edmonds is one of the best backup running back situations in the NFL. And he's shown us that he's extremely fantasy viable as a feature man. So I think this is this is definitely a leverage situation. But it also gives us pause with Kenyon Drake. Because Kenyon Drake's basically being drafted like a cornerstone player. And he's, he's never been thought of as a cornerstone player. And never given, given us reason to think that he's a cornerstone player. And people are treating his 2019 like he finally, you know, it finally happened. It didn't finally happen. He was a boom-bust running back in an offense with a good pace. 
that used him in the ways he should have been used. I can't pass on A.J. Brown or Juju Smith-Schuster for Kenyon Drake in a dynasty startup. I can't. It's the same problem that I have with Aaron Jones going in that range. Just can't do it. Kenyon Drake's not even young anymore. You know, it's 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 tough. I think it's hard to defend. It's certainly a move for 2020. So just like Aaron Jones, if you're going to draft Kenyon Drake, RB17, 35.4 overall. You better make sure the rest of your squad's in shape to bring home the trophy in 2020. Otherwise, you're going to be crying over the next one to two years when A.J. Brown is a top nine overall dynasty asset across the board and Kenyon Drake is floundering with an ADP in the 130s as a 28-year-old. It's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel good. You know, the, the other thing here, too, is Cliff Kingsbury has said he wants to have three backs involved. You know, they drafted Eno Benjamin in the seventh round. Eno Benjamin is a, a player that a lot of our rid of his uh, dynasty team is in on because he's so cheap and because he fell. And it's almost good that he did fall because he's not a superb athlete, but he's an excellent pass catcher. And if either Drake or Edmonds were to miss time, I think it'd be very easy for Eno Benjamin to assert himself in a fantasy viable way in Arizona. And I tweeted out on June 11th, it's a mashup chart from the Rotoviz NFL Stat Explorer. And I basically overlaid David Johnson, Chase Edmonds, and Kenyon Drake's production profiles. And when you look at them, Kenyon Drake had the worst one. If you look at the RB1 for each week in this backfield, David Johnson was crushing it. David Johnson was absolutely crushing it before his back seized up and his season really ended. He was a, a, a running back one in five out of six games, week one to week six. David Johnson was definitely shaping up to, if not being a league winner, at least being a very important player who would have regained basically all of his former dynasty value. That's how he was pacing. And people have seen that gif of him not being able to turn the corner so many times that that's what we think David Johnson is now. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's unfair. I laughed at it as much as anybody else, but I think it's unfair. But Chase Edmonds, Chase Edmonds had the second best game of any Arizona Cardinal last year, 35 PPR points. David Johnson never put up 35 PPR points. And, you know, Drake gave us that 39-point outburst. But I think my point is here, all three of these guys smashed when given the opportunity. And it may not be as much about the given skill set of a player as long as the guy can catch the ball somewhat. The Cardinals aren't going to really be incentivized to even run this thing through one person. And they've already seen what injury can do in terms of you know limiting them. So there's also there's also a range of outcomes here where Drake and Edmonds are a little bit more of a one one A, one B than people are considering at these current investment costs. And if Ch- if Chase Edmonds is going to be the change of pace guy in that scenario, you know, is he getting the four minute drill touches? Is he getting more third down touches? It starts to chip away at the type of game situations maybe that would 
keep Kenyon Drake in the potential RB1, fantasy RB1 conversation for 2020. So I, I just don't like Kenyon Drake here. He's he's an older guy, end of the third round. We need to be making investments in players that are not going to lose value over the next 12 months. And even if Kenyon Drake smashes, he's going to lose the age argument as soon as 2021. Just don't like it, guys. Just don't like it. If he slides to round four and you've got your your wide receiver foundation built or you've drafted, uh, you've got your first super flex quarterback, you draft Carson Wentz at the end of the third and then at the other side of the three, four turn, you want to grab Kenyon Drake? Okay, that's fine. If A.J. Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster are gone, that's how I see it. That's how I see it. Another same team. We got two more same team situations. These same team situations, we got to figure this stuff out. This is actionable stuff. The Seattle Seahawks. DK Metcalf is wide receiver 15 overall. 50.8 ADP overall. I like DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf had some moments last year. Tyler Lockett was wide receiver 13 in PPR leagues. Tyler Lockett is one of only seven wide receivers who have scored 225 PPR two seasons in a row. The other guys, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf was wide receiver 29 as a rookie. 193 PPR. Which guy do you think's more expensive? Yeah, I mean Metcalf. Metcalf is go- going as a high end wide receiver two in dynasty startups. Lockett's a mid wide receiver three. He's being drafted four rounds later. Ninety three point two overall. He did what he did in twenty nineteen, despite basically being a non factor for an entire month after a compartment syndrome scare. Very gruesome lower leg bruise. Really scary. If you guys remember watching that game in week 10 against the Niners, there was a moment on Twitter where people were even speculating about amputation. Now, luckily, it didn't end up going that route for Tyler Lockett, but he basically was a decoy for a couple weeks after that. Still ends up as a borderline wide receiver one last year. This guy's not 32. But what's happening is people are treating Tyler Lockett exactly like the last slot guy in Seattle and Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin is a money ball player for three or four seasons. And Tyler Lockett's done it for two now. He's going to do it again this year. Tyler Lockett's absolutely going to do this again this year. DK Metcalf could improve in 2020. I I think it's highly unlikely that he out-targets Lockett. And at, at wide receiver 30, there's upside here for Lockett. There's value for Lockett. Metcalf is being drafted probably above his ceiling right now. Now, with young wide receivers, you know, if if Metcalf was a top 24 guy this season, he's not going to lose value, certainly, because of his age and because of how impressive he is just watching him. I mean, people like to draft guys that pop in NFL games on film and primetime games. They like the big plays. I get it. I understand the attractiveness of DK Metcalf. But wide receiver 15 versus wide receiver 30 for Lockett, it doesn't account for the actual 
target market share situation on the Seahawks. And so investing at DK at 50 overall, it's okay. But if you want to slice that offense and you want a piece of Russell Wilson, Lockett's the clear play. And if Lockett, if, if Lockett and Metcalf repeat their seasons from last year, if Metcalf throws up another wide receiver 29, middling RB or uh, middling wide receiver three production, and Lockett's a borderline wide receiver one again, people could start talking about Metcalf as the complementary piece in the offense for the next one to two seasons. Metcalf could Metcalf could lose value in that situation. He could lose some value if he doesn't take a step forward. Because again, we've priced the step forward in at wide, rec- wide receiver 15. That makes DK Metcalf's dynasty value volatile. Wide range of outcomes. If, if Metcalf overtakes Lockett, if that scenario does play out, that unlikely scenario that he just boots Tyler Lockett, an established, ingrained, trusted target of Russell Wilson for the last two years, if he, if he boots him down to number two status, Metcalf could have top 12 dynasty startup ADP. So wide range of outcomes here. It would not surprise me if Metcalf was a round one startup pick next year. It also would not surprise me whatsoever if he was around six dynasty startup value next year. That makes him volatile. You got to watch out. You got to watch out for this stuff. And, and the thing is, is, is Lockett's being underappreciated. Lockett in 2018 had the type of season where his year-end counting stats, you know, made him, you know, a wide receiver too. Um, but he only had one wide receiver one week. He only had three wide receiver two weeks. He was very consistent. He only actually busted in two games that year. He scored 10 or more PPR in 14 of 16 contests, which is pretty remarkable but he never won a single week for you now if you if you look at Lockett's 2019 he had three weeks with greater 26 PPR including a 32.4 point outburst in week three and in week nine 40.2 PPR Lockett was smashing before his week 10 injury against the Niners and then it changed the rest of his year I mean for a month he basically did nothing and then two out of his last three weeks, he threw up the 26-point game and a 17.1-point game. So he has actually taken a step forward as a wide receiver who can win your week, but also has a high weekly floor in that offense, even with the presence of DK Metcalf in 2019. So, you know, forgive me for saying DK Metcalf's volatile, but that's how that offense shakes out. Let's hit one more pair of teammates. We're going to go back to Cleveland. Odell Beckham Jr., wide receiver 13, 44 overall. Look, OBJ OBJ was a, a league winner probably twice in his career. I get it. He's super exciting. He's an intriguing just person. He's super interesting. We already talked about Kevin Stefanski probably... If you read the tea leaves of how he and Andrew Barry worked together on rebuilding this team up front, Cleveland's probably going to play slow, probably going to be run heavy. But even if I'm wrong, even if Stefanski 
is more of an analytics geek in play calling um, than I think he is. And he's gonna, and he runs this team more like the 2018 Minnesota Vikings or 2017 Minnesota Vikings that, that ran the offense through the perimeter, through Thielen and Diggs. In this case, it would be through Beckham and Landry. It's just, it's, it's tough because Jarvis, Jarvis Landry, he's just, he's just always there. He's, he's always open. It's why he gets 130 plus targets every season. And it's just hard for me on an offense with Kareem Hunt, with Austin Hooper, with Jarvis Landry to envision Odell Beckham Jr. getting the type of target upside that he needs to justify this at his current age. Sean Siegel and I talk about this a lot of once a wide receiver gets into the the prime window, age 27 and later, especially age 27 to age 30, just one season, one down season where they fail to live up to expectations can crush their dynasty value forever at that point. And the problem with OBJ is he's already not lived up to expectations for the last two years. It's been since 2017 that he was last, I I mean, really, since he he was last, you know, fantasy relevant on title teams in Dynasty or Redraft or otherwise. So wide receiver 13, 44 overall, he's going in the range of A.J. Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. I think it's tough to justify if you're sitting on the clock and you've got those three guys with their ages and you think about especially A.J. Brown being the clear alpha for the Titans, it's tough to it's tough to click the button for OBJ there in that same range when you can get these young guys who have nothing but space to climb. And and for Beckham too, I mean, does it do you Ask yourself this question. Do you really think he has wide receiver overall one upside at this point in his career wearing a Cleveland Browns uniform? I mean, I don't think that's in range of outcomes for Beckham anymore. I don't. Unless the team moves on from Landry. I just don't see it. He's not going to have 150 or 160 targets. So unless he has some sort of crazy statistical outlier season where he scores, you know, 16 touchdowns and has a 15% 15% touchdown rate or something nuts. It's just not going to happen. So I think he, I mean, he's probably being drafted in a fair range, but there's other players that are more attractive. And again, looking at the same team situation, Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry has the second longest active streak of consecutive 200 plus point PPR seasons for wide receivers. Julio Jones and Mike Evans have done it six years in a row. Jarvis Landry's done it five years in a row. No one, no one else in the league's done it five years in a row. Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas have each done it four times. Jarvis Landry is the picture of consistency. Last five seasons, PPR finish. Wide receiver nine, wide receiver 13, wide receiver four. Then in Cleveland, wide receiver 18, wide receiver 12. Jarvis Landry was wide receiver 12 last year. On a busted hip. He's never missed a game. Jarvis Landry... Is being selected. I just told you 9, 13, 4, 18, 12. He's wide receiver 36. He's wide receiver 36 in Dynasty Startups. He has an ADP outside the top 100. Are you kidding me? 112 overall. 
Dr. Jeff Budoff for Rotoviz, our esteemed orthopedic surgeon, an NFL medical analyst. I mean, he says green light on Landry. Great article up in the last week. I will tweet it out. I already did it once this week. I'll tweet it out again when I post this episode. If you read that and you don't think Landry is an auto buy, whether by trade or whether by startup at wide receiver 36, you are crazy. You're just crazy. Because the thing is, at that price, Landry can fall off and still be a value. He can absolutely still fall off and be a value. You know, he could revert. You know, he could he could just score right around 200 PPR instead of this 230, 240 range that he's really been in, been living in. And he could be a, you know, borderline, you know, wide receiver 20 to 26 range. And he's still an immense value there. So Otto Beckham Jr., wide receiver 13, 44 overall. It's not unfair. It just doesn't make a lot of sense when you get a, get a piece of the offense, a guy on the same team that's, you know, essentially the same age, has been more consistent, has more recently given us a wide receiver one season. Makes no sense. And if, let's, let's talk about the Stefanski-Minnesota Vikings thing one more time, just real quick. Adam Thielen has been the Vikings receiver that you wanted when he was healthy. Jarvis Landry is the Adam Thielen Gemini. If if Stefanski runs the offense that way. And OBJ is the Stephon Diggs. So, I don't know. I think it's a dangerous situation. I think it's a very dangerous situation. So, um, not saying Odo Beckham Jr. is necessarily a dynasty sell. If there's somebody in your league that wants to give you wide receiver one value for him, you get a pair of projected early to mid round one picks in 2021. Not a bad cash out option. Not a bad option to move him with a little bit of juice or straight, you know, try to move him straight up for guys like AJ Brown and Juju. But but why why draft Odo Beckham Jr. at 44 overall? When you can wait six to seven rounds and get Jarvis Landry later, it, it makes no sense. So, okay, guys, well, we've covered a lot, a lot of ground today. We talked about Aaron Jones being a dangerous investment in the, the top three rounds and Kenyon Drake in that same range. These running backs being up there in years with teams that either have good alternative options or have recently invested high draft capital on an alternative option. These are the types of players that are more likely to decline in value than appreciate in value. We talked about, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt potentially cannibalizing each other. But if that happens, Hunt's an extreme value and Chubb loses it. We talked about Stefan Diggs not being projectable week to week and being a much better investment for real football than for fantasy and that wide receiver 24 is egregious considering the high target getters available shortly thereafter and we also talked about a pair of teammate situations and dk metcalf and tyler lockett and obj and jarvis landry where the sexy name is going much much higher than potentially the better fantasy investment 
So you just got to think about this stuff before you invest in any player at his ADP. What's the team situation? What's the likelihood that they appreciate in value versus depreciate in value? And who are the other guys going around him? And what are those scenarios look like for those guys? Anyone can do these exercises. You can look up and down the Rotoviz Dynasty ADP tools for FFPC or other platforms. And you can have this type of conversation with yourself. The same conversation that I've had with you today. You can do it. And you'll find your own players that you think are volatile. These are the ones that Travis May and I wanted to highlight for you today. They're not the only guys. They're certainly not the only guys in that top 50 range that are fades. So happy hunting. If you have volatile players that you think you've got a good argument for, you want to engage me on Twitter at CPatrickNFL, feel free to do so. I'll let you know what I think. I'll let you know what I think. And I'll, I'll, count, I'll come back with a counter argument if I think you're wrong. It's about we're here to make each other better. I can learn from you. You can learn from me. It's not a a one-way conversation. So thank you for listening to the Dynasty Command Center podcast. And we will be back next week with some prospect talk, some 2021 prospect talk. Travis and I have been talking behind the scenes about shaking things up with our Devi situation at Rotoviz. And we've got some interesting ideas that I think you're going to like. It's going to make it more applicable to the way that you actually play Devi Dynasty football. We're going to approach it in a way that other, other places aren't doing it. And of course, we'll be talking more Dynasty. So until then, I'm Curtis Patrick, Dynasty Command Center Podcast. See you next week.